Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening today. My name is Rob Webster, and this is episode 11, where I get to interview Preston Poor. He is a retired executive who spent more than two decades working with the Coca-Cola company. It's a great conversation that we had, and I'm so glad that you're here to enjoy it. Custer Road United Methodist Church presents the story that writes us. I want to I want to talk about one thing right off the bat. Um, you could have worked for Merrill Lynch or been in IT or HR, and you'd tell people that, and they just nod. They say, "Oh, okay." But when you when you tell people you worked for Coca Cola, they they react a certain way, don't they? Oh, oh, they do. Yeah. So, uh, twenty one year career with the Coca Cola company. And uh, it's, it's funny, Rob, I've been in consumer packaging for 30 years. And so I started with Ralston Purina selling dog food. And everybody that had a dog or a cat, pet food, uh, loved me. I'd always have samples. I could give them stuff, et cetera. <laughs> and then I actually worked for Hershey Chocolate. Can you imagine that? I worked for Hershey and everybody that loves candy and chocolate and everything like yeah. that. And I always had samples and, and people come by and give that stuff to them. Uh, and so, but if you can imagine working with a brand that is as ubiquitous as coca-cola is uh the, the brands there just wonderful opportunity I always considered the pinnacle of the consumer products industry it's because anywhere you go anywhere you go you see a coca-cola uh it's like i met i was down in peru not uh gosh just a few years ago we went on a mission trip with our church here uh in atlanta and you would go into the different sea stores and stuff you'd see coca-cola there and inca cola you would go i've been to moscow before you see Coca-Cola, Istanbul, Coca-Cola. So it's all around the world, and it's amazing. Uh, the, just the just everywhere that that brand is. It's been such a joy for me to work with something like that. I, the other thing I tell you real quick is this. I've got a friend who works for Delta, and I'm not slamming brands here at all, but he looked at me one day, and we were talking stories. About, and, and anytime anybody comes up and uh, knows that I work for Coke, they have a Coke story. They tell me about their first time they drank a Coke or they took their son or daughter <laughs> to a ball game and yeah. just these positive, uplifting moments. And this uh, guy's a pilot for Delta and he goes, well, that's great press. You get to hear that. And I get to hear about people's lost baggage. Right. I get to hear about their, <laughs> the flights that they got canceled, how mad they were at the airline, all that kind of stuff. And I say, nobody, right. so, nobody has a negative experience with Coke. That's that's, That's true. Right. Nobody does. You can't go wrong. Yeah, I, it just seems like it has such a unique resonance um, with with people that other other products don't. And I and I know your whole career when people hear who who you work for uh, and what company you work with, they, you, I'm sure you always get a very positive and interesting reaction from, from different people. And that's how I met you. We were both at uh, Fraser Methodist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, and you were working with, with Coke then. But uh, as you said, that wasn't your first, uh, your first job. But, but tell me the story of your, your work and your career. 20 uh, plus years, the Coca-Cola company. Uh, I had a, a wonderful experience there uh, over those years, ups and downs, like everybody does in a career trajectory and doing. Um, but great to work with some really 
good brands and great people there. Uh, and then before that, I was with uh, Hershey Foods and Chocolate. I actually had the opportunity to live in Hershey, Pennsylvania for a few years. Where it really does and that was smell like chocolate. I've been there. It, and uh, yeah, it's a fascinating place. We can smell the chocolate being made. It's even more fascinating when the Amish are laying out their manure for when they're doing their farming and you have the chocolate drifting over the town and it meets the top of there and it comes across and that's a very unique smell. I'm so sure but anyway, that's hard. Yes, the Hershey is the sweetest place on earth and it was a lot of fun to live there for and what a great experience to have a young family in that. Uh, and before that, uh, I actually did a stint with Dale Carnegie Training. Uh, and uh, worked for them for a while and sold training and helped with some of the training on that. Learned a lot there in Birmingham, Alabama, we were there. Uh, and before that, I was with Ralston Purina and I sold dog food for a couple years and, and some great development stories behind all that. Um, and then right before that, right before I went to Ralston, I was started actually started my career in banking at uh, AmSouth Bank in Birmingham, Alabama. And I was what they call, Rob, a must hire. A must hire is somebody that your uncle works, uh, or actually your uncle belongs to a country club where somebody else does and they're sipping whatever they're sipping there at the country club and having conversation <laughs> guy goes I, I need a job for my uh, uh, nephew that's in town can you help and so phone call was placed I got this job but I got put in internal audit of all places uh, and so no, no kick against auditors but that's totally against my creative uh, bent and yeah. strengths and everything but at least it was a job my dad is a, a college professor in applied mathematics and a brilliant man he went to Caltech and Georgia Tech and uh, he started a company called Numerica Corporation uh, oh, years nice. ago. And uh, fast forwarding all of that, uh, our, our organization is responsible for some pretty cool stuff around air and missile defense and uh, creating some things to help our, keep our country safe. And so I'm part of a small business, a, a, a board of directors member and shareholder of that organization. So I've got this unique perspective of small business and working in that and the entrepreneurial mindset and being around that, and then also the Fortune 500 corporate piece, and, and it really helps me think differently uh, when I, I uh, am in a professional setting. Well, just to dig a little deeper on that, how, how did that help you when you're working with, with Coke, which I think from what you um, shared before too, they would um, turn over Apple Carts organizationally uh, quite a bit, and you're coming from a small company perspective too. How did that impact how you... Um, lived into your career at Coke? Well, here's the analogy I use, Rob, when you ask that question. I tell people working at the Coca-Cola company was like running for Congress and being a member of Congress. Every two years, you're up for re-election. And once you get reelected, you are campaigning again for that seat that you'll come up for again. So I, at the company, I was 20 plus years at the Coca-Cola company. I went through 11 reorgs. Imagine that. Oh my that. gosh. 11 reworks. So you're always, there's always this effervescent uh, bubbling in a can, Coke can if you can. It's always disturbed. It's up, down. Uh, sometimes the Coke is flat. Other times it's overcarbonated and, uh, and pouring out of the can after it's been shaken, um, to use that analogy. But uh, how did, so in the midst of all that chaos in an organization, uh, and we can talk about the faith aspect as we, I know we will here in a little bit, but uh, if you have this small business piece behind you, the, the part that always helped me was an understanding of what it felt like to be an entrepreneur. And if you look at that skill set, that mindset, that jumpstart, that willing to go and take the initiative to make things happen on your own and kind of cut through red tape and, and, uh, and accomplish some great things with and through people. Uh, and it's not to say you can't do that just with uh, and without the 
small business experience. But I think that gave me a little bit of a head start every time that happened because I just have this understanding that a small business, you kind of have to go make things happen on your own. Right. And it, one of the highest compliments I had from one of my uh, managers that brought me onto the team through one of these reorgs said, hey, I've always seen you, Preston, as an entrepreneur, meaning that uh, while you're inside this corporation, uh, you've always been known for making things happen and putting things together and advancing things like a small business owner might. What was your what was your role at Coca Cola? What what were you responsible for? I invested 15, almost fifteen years of my career with Coke in a group called Franchise Leadership, and that was the I guess the most fun I had uh, and the greatest experiences I had during my career. And what Franchise Leadership really was was responsible for was working with our bottling partners. Uh, right now, as of when I just left the Coca-Cola company, we had 68 bottling partners across the United States. And Rob, I'm not sure if you know how the Coca-Cola system works, uh, but but ultimately the Coca-Cola company will produce a concentrate for one of our beverages mm-hmm. like Coke, and they sell it to our bottling partners. And then our bottling partners uh, you know, add water, add carbonation, and then put it in a can, and then they go distribute and sell it. And so uh, while Coke does have some products it sells directly, mostly most of it's through our bottling partners. And all of our bottling partners are uh, independent business owners. They are. Okay. Yeah, and I so didn't know you, that. The, yeah. And so uh, the company does not necessarily control what those bottling partners do. And so what a group like Franchise Leadership has to do is they have to act as ambassadors for the company and go and work with those bottling partners to uh, achieve mutually uh, beneficial objectives. Uh, so market share, uh, revenue, those types of things. So somebody like me would go into and I'd be an embedded uh, Coca-Cola associate inside the baller, working with them, understanding the marketplace, understanding the personnel, how to inspire them, how to bring resources to them and help them achieve the goals that they need to. And ultimately, if they were successful, my organization was successful. I get it. That totally makes sense. The interesting thing is, is that the first balling partner was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Some folks went to the Coca-Cola company and said, hey, uh, this has been on Fountain, made in pharmacies all these years. We think we could put it in a bottle. Hmm. And I think the story goes is that uh, the uh, Coca-Cola company who was running, the people that were running it at the time, uh, weren't clear on the vision, didn't think it was going to work. And I think they sold the distribution rights to them for a dollar. Wow. And over time, uh, as Coca-Cola, the popularity grew, uh, all these different family owners used to buy it. And you could buy a territory as far as your horse could ride, I think, in a buggy in a day and back, (laughs) believe it or not. (laughs) And so all of those territories, eventually, you think about all the territories across the United States, there was some consolidation over time, there was divestitures over time, but ultimately where we landed here very recently was having uh, 67, 68 ballers. And so the company has to work with those folks to accomplish mutual uh, objectives. Let's talk about... um spiritually kind of what happened you you reached a point in your career well you you tell the story here's the scoop i've been a believer since i was in eighth grade i made the commitment gave my life to the lord in eighth grade and as i went through and grew in my career i never really understood that my and what role my faith played in my away from home away from church away from community life uh, I couldn't make the connection uh, for some reason. I kind of felt there was something there, but I just couldn't do it. And I honestly, Rob, was more worried often uh, more about my performance and what I accomplished 
and people were just collateral damage. Hmm. They were left in the wake. And so uh, I was one of those bosses. I wouldn't call myself a leader at the time, a manager also, uh, that was driven. And I would drive people away if they weren't driven like I was and help me accomplish those goals. And um, it's not a good place to be in. It's not. You're a believer, but you go to work and you've got this secular, spiritual separation between the two. Something's not right. Something's not, not working. And I'll never forget. I was actually, it, it happened to me when I was in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, and this is my first role with Coca-Cola. I had two associates uh, that were reporting to me at the time. I'd, I'd worked hard to, to hire one of them, recruited them from an old grocery chain called Bruno's back in the day. And uh, she was the head of marketing. She came to work with me. And then another person that I had, uh, I guess, inherited through the organizational change that we had. And both of them ended up quitting on me. As a matter of fact, I talk about this in the book that I wrote. Uh, one of them uh, went on to do a performance review with that individual. And uh, it was like a January call after the end of the year. It's when most corporations used to do be in that cadence when you would uh, have a discussion at the end of the year and how you did and, and where you would land from a compensation perspective. And uh, we got on there and uh, she, on the conference call, he said, said, hey, we don't need to have this conference call. I quit, Preston. You're an absolute jerk. Hung up. Oh, wow. And uh, my boss, <laughs> my boss was uh, entering into the room, into the conference room, just as that was happening, because she was going to sit in on it. She knew there was some some tension and some concerns about performance and things like that that I was going to talk to the, the employee about and how I thought that they should fix it. And my manager at the time looked at me and goes, Preston, I want to tell you something. You do a wonderful job at work. You're really good at planning and uh, executing, and, and the things that you produce are fantastic. But your people skills stink. And if you want to rise in this organization, if you want a future in leadership, you got to go get that fixed. And I remember writing in my journal, I think it was that same day, and maybe the next day in my quiet time, I said, Lord, I'm broken. I've had all this happen. You've seen all this. I've tried things on my own way. I can't do it. I know something's wrong. So I just submit my life to you. And Lord, I pray that you would lead me in to show me how to lead people the way that you want me to. And that was the tipping point for me where I had that breaking, those associates leave and just a catalyst for transformation for me. And the good news is this, is that God heard my prayer and he began transforming me little by little during that whole process and got me to a point where uh, I had some wonderful things happen. I was a leader at the Coca-Cola company, uh, had uh, big groups reporting to me, accomplished some great things, but my perspective was more about not what I actually accomplished or what the team accomplished. It's how we did it. And I always believe that if I can figure out the how, how I engage people, how I treat people, how I lead in an organization, the what, the accomplishment is going to take care of itself. And so that's the transition that happened. We had the tipping point earlier in my career with Coke, uh, and God got a hold of me, shook me, and put me in this kind of this rehabilitation, this training uh, ground, if you will, uh, over the next 15 plus years before I left the organization. And uh, just a sweet moment that I'll share with you here and your listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually, and I'm, I'm going to be, I confess, I'm a young guy, I guess, comparatively. I'm, I retired, I was very blessed to retire from the Coca-Cola company. I'm only 55, so I got plenty of stuff ahead of me that I want to go do. 
but I felt like it was the time to walk away. But we had a retirement party a few weeks ago at the Coca-Cola building. And so I surrounded by 25 folks or so, uh, loved ones, family, and then uh, coworkers that were able to make the party. And, it, you know, it was kind of neat, Rob. They were, went around this circle and they were giving affirmation back to me and memories of my career. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you've ever been to a retirement party, it's kind of what they're like. No roasting, which was nice. I didn't get roasted. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, you know, a common theme was this, is that, Preston, we noticed that you put your family first. And there was something different about you. And you put your faith as a priority. As a matter of fact, uh, one of my former leaders, and I mean, he was a leader, John, uh, he actually read part of the blog post that I wrote, kind of my goodbye, if you will. And uh, he read out loud and said, and I think as I recall writing, I say something about, hey, my blood never ran Coke red. That's a phrase people use yeah. at the Coca-Cola company in the system. My my blood runs Coke red, meaning you know I'm truly loyal. This is my life thing, and I I went against that. I said here here's the thing. I I I love Coke. It's what I did, but not who I am. And I prioritized my work differently. And I I still worked hard. And that was another common theme is even though you were a great family man, you've got a great family, you still delivered tremendous results. And you can do both. That would be a message I would tell people as I circle around back on this to kind of conclude this little section for you, is that as you go through transformation at work, and I want to talk about this more with you in a second, but as you go through this transformation, you can not only be blessed by God and have a great family and walk with him as a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you can also deliver strong results. It's not either or. It's really not. And it was neat to have people come around me at my retirement party from all all periods of my career, all different teams, cross-functional partners, managers, people that work for me. And that theme was the same. And it's not reflecting on me, but it's what, so it's scripture that says, uh, hey, do, do your, it's like, I can't, I'm going to paraphrase for you. But basically, do your work and be a blessing to others. And, and people are going to see what you do and give glory to God in heaven. And that's what I was thankful for, because I was able to give him the credit for the transition and the transformation he made in my heart. Well, you and I were in a small group together with Bob Ewell at Fraser Methodist. Yes. And he was the discipleship minister there. And I remember that was a big focus of his. He talked a lot about work and about how to honor God through your work. But I remember he said what, what you just echoed, that your work does not define you. And so many times our work becomes our identity. And, um, and I, I think that's really great to hear your perspective on it to say, I don't bleed coke red and to have that perspective and there might have been others at coke who judged you for that might have realized that and thought well he's not he's not really fully committed but it sounds like the opposite was true uh, a couple things i want to throw at you number yeah. one we spend ninety thousand hours of our life at work let that sink in for a minute if you haven't heard that stat before ninety thousand hours at work so the question is, how do you actually spend that or do you invest that? Are you growing or are you just throwing it away? And the other thing I want to mention to you, it, just total context around this transformation piece and that, that I'm not alone in this and, and others that are listening, you might find yourself in one of three buckets that I'll mention here in a second. Uh, Christians at Work was a survey and a study done by Barna, the Barna organization, if listeners are familiar with Barna, they're a Christian polling organization. They uh, come out with some great insights. Uh, but they, they surveyed 1,500 Christians where their faith mattered to them somewhat on some level, and they were also working. 
and uh, it was done out of, with in conjunction with Abilene Christian University, and they found there were three types of people. I'm not stereotyping people. They found there were three kind of buckets. Uh, there were folks about, I'd say 28% of the folks they found were actually integrating. They were called integrators, living out their faith in the workplace, meaning that they were redemptive influences in the workplace, making things better, using their talent, skills, and abilities to glorify God in the workplace. They could talk about that, how they were doing that. They, had a, they were uh, working towards something bigger uh, in God's story. Um, and so they got that. And they were living a more fulfilled personal and professional life. Another, gosh, 35%, somewhere around there, were what we call onlookers. And onlookers are people that have a little bit of this inkling and understanding of uh, the Bible, and they, they've gone to church, and they have a desire to grow in Christ just a little bit, and they're working toward that. But they truly don't have anybody, uh, an example in the workplace that would show them what it looks like to integrate your faith in the workplace there. So that's 30-something percent, those onlookers. And then the last category, which uh, a lot of folks are in, and this is where I fell uh, initially um, on all this, is they're, they're called the compartmentalizers. That's another 30-something mm. percent. Yeah, those three have to get to, get to 100, obviously, and my math's not perfect there. But um, <laughs> the, the uh, compartmentalizers, they, they don't understand how their Sunday and their Monday connect, the sacred and the secular. They, they don't see an overlap between the two. So they drive out of that parking lot on Sunday morning. After they've been at church, they've sat in the pew, and then boom, there's somebody different. It's like being an atheist, atheist in the workplace. Uh, and so that's that's kind of where folks are, and they, they, they've got those three categories. And so the question is this, is how do you take somebody that's a compartmentalizer, how do you build up their faith through discipleship and then provide them examples about what it looks like to be a great leader, pulling that needle through for them. How do you take my what I've learned on Sunday and apply it on Monday? And then you move to the onlooker, and these are the ones that are eager to know how to do that, and you really coach, teach, and train them and mentor them and say, hey, let's shore up your discipleship and understand and help you grow closer to the Lord through that uh, and do that. And then last, the integrators. Remember I mentioned that 28% of them were integrators, but the challenge is, is that a lot of those integrators don't know how and they don't have a framework to go back to that other 70 plus percent and pull them along and hmm. teach them and coach them and train them. And so that's that's kind of the idea behind Disciple Leader, the book I wrote. Yeah. And uh, knowing that we invest 90,000 hours of our lives at work and more, and then you've got these three buckets of believers out there. Uh, the problem is out there is that people are living lives that are kind of going in circles that are meaningless, uh, no purpose. And if we can tap in to uh, helping them uh, grow closer to Jesus, uh, the Lord's going to work in them and through them to become better leaders. Are there unique challenges you've found to, to doing this in a secular environment? You know, I, I, so I, I laugh uh, with people because I tell, I tell folks, Rob, that uh, I would always start a, a conference uh, in, a, in a conference room or a meeting uh, with a word of prayer. And then I would open my Bible and then boom, we'd get into what we want to talk about. At <laughs> that never happened. Right. <laughs> that, never happened. Sure. that doesn't happen. You're, you're not standing in the corner of the hallway, beating your Bible and uh, being like John the Baptist and, and uh, you know, preaching the word and, and uh, doing all that. What I've seen, what I've seen, and what do I mean by living out your faith in the workplace uh, is by relating to people and helping them grow helping them achieve what they want to accomplish, 
uh, and, and really caring about them, building trust, communicating, being transparent with them, leading them well, uh, listening to them. Uh, those are all characteristics that as believers that we can grow in and do that. I'll give you a couple other examples, though, if you ask from an absolute spiritual perspective. I've been in offices before where people have been displaced at the company and they didn't know what was going to go on. I actually had somebody I reported to for a while, got displaced. I walked into his room, said, can I pray for you right here and right now? Yeah. Shocked him. I think it actually shocked him. Uh, I've, I've conducted uh, small group Bible studies uh, before, and we would meet at seven in the morning before work started in my office. We'd sit around and the guys that just want to sit and chat and read the Bible together and stuff like that. So it's a combination of the way that you interact in a secular world and also then connecting with the believers around you to support and encourage them and share your life with them. And I found that probably the best way to help out. Now, I want to pause for a minute. Uh, I think sometimes, and it goes back to maybe a little bit of the conversation about uh, some Christians use their faith as an excuse not to uh, excel at work and do well. And I think that goes back to the scripture. I think it's uh, in Ephesians about, you know, we are God's workmanship. Right. And, uh, so let's go give our very best. You got to deliver results, too. God deliver results. Uh, I had somebody ask me on an interview that I did uh, not too long ago and said, hey, Preston, where, where do result, results fit in all this? Well, you got to deliver them. I've heard stories about uh, managers, both men and women, that were fantastic leaders in the workplace, but for some reason they just couldn't deliver the results. Mm. And so you've got to figure out how to do both between that. Uh, that's how you sustain your role in a corporation or even keep a small business alive Alive is uh, and, and, and hitting the numbers that you need to do. But again, I go back to it's not what you accomplish, knowing that you've got to go accomplish those things, but it's the how you do it. People will not remember what you did together necessarily, but you they will. They will absolutely remember how you treated them. You've got to go and develop relationship with people and not act like you're beating them over the head. But know this, if you're a believer and people get an inkling of that in the workplace, they're watching you. Yeah. They're watching you. They're either watching you to make sure you see if you mess up and call you hypocrite, or they're watching to say, hey, there's something there that's different, and I, I, I'm very interested in that. Um, but I learned a long time ago. I, I don't even think, Rob, I can count on the, I, I don't, can't remember, somebody that proactively asked me about Jesus. Hmm. I can't remember in the workplace where somebody said, hey, tell me about, you know, your faith. Yeah. Uh, it was always through a conversation and asking some questions that had to come along. I had a uh, professor at um, Samford University in Birmingham when I was getting my graduate degree, and his name was Dr. Felton. But one of the things he asked me about my faith, and he wasn't a believer, uh, but he said, Preston, tell me about, are, are you Christian? And I said, yeah. And he said, what kind of Christian are you? And I said, well, I'm a, a lifestyle, I guess, evangelist. He goes, what does that mean? And I said, well, I assume that people are going to see Jesus through my actions. He goes, yeah, but how do they hear about it? Hmm. And I was right. You know, you're right. <laughs> how do they hear yeah. about it? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's, I found myself in the workplace at times where, uh, like, new teams come together. And I've had more opportunity than not uh, when you have an introductory period. I'll talk about what my faith, how much it matters to me and how my, my, my work is not my priority. Don't take that wrong, gang, but work is not my priority. My faith is my first priority, my family, and then my work. And, uh, and I'll say, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I go to this and this church or whatever and that's part of, part of my life. And I always took that opportunity. Yeah. And 
I've had people come up to me behind me and grab me by the shoulder and say, hey, I want to talk to you about that sometime or whatnot. Uh, and that's been good. So I don't mean to ramble there, but it's just really being courageous in the workplace. I've seen a bunch of wimps <laughs> right. that are uh, believers that won't. And I'm not, I, it's just, it's just, you know, living out your spiritual, your faith, your beliefs in the workplace, in the secular. And if it was easy, that 72% that I mentioned earlier, those compartmentalizers, those onlookers, would be doing it all the time. Right. But it ain't. Where can people get your book? Uh, thanks for asking. So, <laughs> Discipled Leader. Discipled Leader is the book. Uh, and they can go. It's sold wherever finer books are sold. <laughs> so, just literally, when you go to like a Barnes & Noble or an independent Christian retailer in the marketplace, you can find it on Amazon or ChristianBooks.com. Uh, so there's a multitude of places. As a matter of fact, Rob, it's kind of fun. Uh, it's also on Choice Book Racks in the airport, believe it or not. And uh, Choice Book Racks, people are, are familiar with those if they go into an airport and they see some inspirational books on a rack there or in a grocery store. Mine's not available in a grocery store right now, but uh, they would be familiar with those things. So really available anywhere uh, that you buy finer books. And is this book And sounds- I would also add that people can visit and learn more about me. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, Rob, it, people can learn more about me and the platform, the message that I have about living out your faith in the workplace. They can just go to PrestonPoor.com. That's P-R-E-S-T-O-N-P-O-O-R-E, my first and last name, .com format. There are questions to group discussion questions at the end of each chapter. And then oh, okay. at the very end of the book, I also did a facilitator guide. So if you're facilitating the conversation, it gives some ideas about questions to ask and or to look for in responses. Uh, to make sure people get the, at least the spiritual perspective of the discussion. Thank you for taking the time to to put those thoughts and those lessons down in a book. And um, I know you're um, doing a lot of speaking engagements and different things of that sort now too, which I, I think is just great. God is God is using you, and I just want to affirm you in that and say I'm so excited to hear your story and to know how he has used you and how he's continuing to use you. And I know I know he's going to continue to use you. It's great. Thank you. Preston, thank you so much for joining me in a conversation on the podcast today. And uh, next week, I'm going to talk with a friend of mine, Jason Huey. And Jason and his wife, Michelle, a few years back, they moved to a teeny tiny island in the South Pacific. It's a fantastic story about how they got there and how they live their lives really with an open hand. I love my conversation with Jason. I think you're going to love it too. So thanks for listening today. The story that writes us is part of the discipleship ministries at Custer Road United Methodist Church in Plano, Texas. Hey, if you're ever in the area, stop in. We'd love to see you. Take care.